Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Really Riley. Are you ready? This is the Really Riley Podcast. Woo! Well, hello, beloveds. How are you? Hopefully you guys have had a great week and hopefully you have your seatbelts on because I am about to do probably the most important podcast interview piece of airwaves recording anything I have ever done in my 20 something. No, not 20 something. I'm not that old. 20, 18 years of being a broadcaster. And if you can't tell, I am a little bit nervous because this one is just so incredibly important to me, hopefully to you and to the person that I am going to be interviewing today. It's the biggest message I have ever put out there. And I'm not going to lie, this might be a little bit of a trigger warning for some of you. So um, I will for sure put that out there and absolutely not take it personally. If some of the things that we're about to get into tonight might be a little heavy for you. But if it's not something that's going to trigger something dangerous within you, I would implore you to listen and just keep it as food for thought, share it, and get some awareness out there about what we are going to talk about today. So I actually didn't know this until recently, but April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I know a lot of you just went, but this is really Riley. And my biggest mission with continuing my broadcasting career has become connection, helping people through that connection and making people feel less alone. So I feel as though that is one of the biggest goals here. At least that's my 50% of the part of this podcast goal. Um, I wanted to read you something that a woman that I'm going to be interviewing today, her name is Brittany Prince, wrote. And it is from a book called Empowered Women Overcoming Mediocrity. And I'm going to tell you, I damn near cried my eyelashes off when I read this. So I'm going to take a breath and I'm just going to read it for you guys says, we finally had a break from training and it was supposed to be a fun Saturday out on a boat with a group of classmates. It was a beautiful sunny day. The weather was perfect. I remember getting on the boat and then the next thing I knew I was waking up someplace completely different to someone raping me. I started thinking to myself, this is not real. What's happening to me right now. It's just a dream. I was literally in and out of consciousness on a bed in a hotel room. I have no idea how I got there. In the distance, I could hear someone else talking. Hey, what are you doing? I was lying there. My mind went blank. I was in shock. I didn't move. I didn't yell. I just froze and let it happen. Why aren't I moving? I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. And just like that, it was over. He got what he wanted while I died a little bit inside that day. I would never be the same again. And my journey had only just begun. He had not seen the last of me. If 
you are new to this podcast, if you are not new to this podcast, you know that Really Riley is a place that I used to call my little corner of the world, but I'm opening it up in a very different way today. And I couldn't be more proud to introduce this woman who served in the United States Army from 2013 to 2018. During her time in the service, she had the most traumatic event that anyone could have. In 2013, she was sexually assaulted by another service member. Having said that, I'm so proud of her that she's telling her story, and I'm even more proud that I'm the vehicle in which she is able to tell it. Please, in your hearts, in your heads, because I know this is a podcast and you're not in front of us, give the biggest hug out to my girl, Brittany Prince. Brittany, welcome to Really Riley. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a little shaken up. It's, it's, um, it's different when I'm like reading my own book, but then like having somebody else like read it out loud um, it hits me a little differently. <laughs> I will tell you that when I read that, I could feel, I think, as, po- as, as much as humanly possible that you could feel someone else's emotions in that sense. What that read to me was this weird world of panic and confusion, shame, anger, all of those emotions all in one. And it did not even happen to me. And yeah. Did I nail that one a little bit? Um, it feels as though that is a big reason why I really was intrigued and honored to want to tell your part of the story or your story, but to be the one to tell it. So I wanted to make sure that you were comfortable with everything when you came to me and said that you wanted to tell this part of the story that in, in such a vivid way, you had originally sent me a, we got this moment. Um, for those of you that don't listen to the podcast religiously, um, I have always had my credo. We got this, we got this, we got this, no matter what's going on. It's like a battle cry to go forward. And you sent me this story not so much in detail like this, but you told me about it. And I said, oh my God, please, will you come on the podcast? I'd be so honored. And I was really thrilled and honestly scared inside when you agreed to do it because I knew how important this was. So I really just can't say thank you enough because it's a really brave thing that you have already done and that you are doing right now. Thank you. I honestly, I, I appreciate you because, you know, it's, it's hard to find somebody who um, really wants to listen to your story and like really like cares for that person. And like, I don't know, just like this uh, topic is just, it's really hard for a lot of people um, and to even come out in public. So I just, I have, I feel like I'm rambling. I get, uh, this is like, you know, only my like third time talking about this. So I'm just like nervous, rambling a little bit, well, but I appreciate you. <laughs> Brittany, together we can, right? Because I'm supposed yes. to be the broadcaster over here and I think I've rambled about nine times already and I probably will more. 
<laughs> and I think that that is what makes telling stories like this even more important when it's raw and real and not glossy and edited and all of that. Because I, I think like, like I said earlier, like human connection is the goal awareness obviously too but you get that awareness through human connection and i don't know that there's as much of it if everybody is just chill right right <laughs> maybe i'm right. wrong but that's just my way of doing things because right now i'm sitting in my studio with my crystals everywhere crisscross applesauce like a little kid nervous that i'm going to say the wrong thing <laughs> so we're in the same boat not really but you know what i mean <laughs> Okay, so if it's okay with you, I want to ask you a few questions about your story. Absolutely. So how long were you in the Army before you were sexually assaulted? Um, so I left for basic training in January of 2013. Um, so I went to basic, and then um, once you graduate basic, you go to AIT, which is like the next training about like your MLS, what you're going to be doing for school for that. Um, so then I graduated that and I went to airborne school. So literally I was in January and then I was raped in May of 2013. I had just gotten through basic, just gotten through AIT and went straight to airborne school. And, um, during the school, they kind of give you a little um, leeway on the weekends and go out and do stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it was my first weekend um, during that school. And uh, that that weekend was the weekend. So I was only in for like four months wow. um, before it happened. So I have always said, because I have a lot of friends, family members, um, in the military and I had been, I, I've always said, you know, I could never, you know, because it's such a grueling thing. It just tests your mind, your body. It tests every part of your soul, if I'm correct. And then you, you're in this, you're, you're, especially you're a woman in a mostly male dominated, you know, situation. And you're like, okay, maybe I'm getting my bearings about me. It's our first night out. We're going to blow off some steam we're going to rejuvenate ourselves and just go out and have fun. And, Apparently, that is the exact opposite of what happened that night with you. Yeah. And, like, the worst part, so before the weekend, usually, like, um, there'll be, like, a staff sergeant that's ahead, and they'll do, like, a whole, um, like, speech before you go off for the weekend. Like, oh, don't drink and drive. Don't, you know, make sure you consent. They, they do the whole, like just make sure you're safe. Um, and the woman that was doing it, I honestly don't even remember her name. Um, she was very like, she, she <clears throat> made sure to tell us, make sure nothing happens that weekend to where she has to come in to do paperwork. <gasps> so, you know, as a brand new soldier in and something happened to me, I was, nervous to go to her and say anything happened because she was very adamant about make sure I don't have to come in on my day off. Make sure um, you don't do something. I have to, I have to go back to a word that you just said just a moment ago. And I'm not sure if this was a slip where you meant to say it, but make sure you consent. 
which was so it's just like um, a whole weekend stew that they do before you go home for the weekend. Just make sure, you know, no means no. Wow. It, it's just like that type of thing. You know, when someone says no, that means no. No, I completely you know. like, yes, that's an important conversation to have. I'm not saying that. But if I, my God, like it's just that has to be a part of it is so sad, right? You would think yeah. in terms of like human decency, in terms of human beings that have taken oaths to protect their country and protect others that you have to think about protecting yourself in those capacities. Yeah. That rocks my world. <laughs> but apparently yeah, it, it is a sad fact of that situation. Yeah. And it's just, you know, um, when you have somebody that's like a part of, so there's a program, Sharp, it's Sexual Harassment and Assault Response Program, and she was part of that. But it, for me, like, when you have people in that program, like, you need to make sure these people are wanting to be there. Yeah. Because if you have people that don't want to be in it, they're not going to have um, empathy or, like, emotions or, like, you have to have people that want to be there because it's such, it, unfortunately, it's such a big thing, big issue that happens and you don't have the right people, then you're not going to have survivors that want to come forward and speak because they're afraid. My God. I mean, especially in a situation where you've already gone through, you know, you didn't realize that you were going to go through something traumatic that night. It's not like you walk into it and say like, okay, well, this could happen to me. So I have a checklist of things I'm going to do and say and be and how I'm going to act and what I'm going to say and what I'm going to dress like. Right. And then if it happens, which in your case it did, this woman is saying, I don't want to do paperwork. I Yeah, I don't want to have to come in on my, because I think it was like a long weekend. I think it was like a holiday weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in May, holiday weekend. So she doesn't want to have to come in to work. Wow. You know, so it's, so that was, that was my, that was my first like really experience in the military because basic training and AIT are like the same thing, mm -hmm. you know? So this was my next step. I was going to a school, which it's uh, airborne school is a little different because it's a mix of people that have been in for years. It's a mix of everybody. It could be new soldiers and um, soldiers that have been in for a while. So it's a mixed group. Um, so, you know, that was my first experience getting in. I, I, I'm surprised you stayed in as long as you did, honestly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, my gosh, you are, obviously we've been talking for 15 minutes and I can tell that you're the strongest woman I've probably ever met because I, <laughs> like I was apparently right in my assumption that I could never, <sighs> my goodness. So whatever you are comfortable with sharing of the events of that day that led up to your rape, if you would like to, um, tell me what you guys did before the fun parts of it. What was happening before? Um, well, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you the fun part. So, um, there, it was me and a girl that I had met, um, on the way up to um, Airborne, her and I sat together on the um, 
on the bus from South Carolina to Georgia. So we had a good, you know, time talking. Um, her and I uh, got together and then um, there was a guy that I knew from back home. So it was like I, I, I knew someone from home. Um, and so it was like I felt comfortable going out because he was going to be there and she was with me. Sure. And so there was he had invited a few other people. Um, and of course, um, everyone had gotten drinks. They bought drinks to get on the boat. Well, you're not supposed to even drink when you're in school. That's like a big no-go. Right. Um, who doesn't break but, rules? You know, I'm, I'm a private. Like, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm brand new to the whole thing. Even though I knew a no, you know, we still did it. Yeah. Um, Show so me one we had, person that hasn't broken a rule in their life. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so we bought drinks and we went on the boat. And it was like a sunny day in Georgia. It's May, so it's really hot on top of that. Yeah. Um, and all all I remember, literally all I remember is having a few drinks. I think, you know, there was some liquor involved. And when you're in basic and AIT, you don't drink any alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm going from January to May with no alcohol. Like, and then I go and I drink. And um, I had one too many and I blacked out completely. Like I have, even to this day, 10 years later, it's like a part of my life, like missing because I don't remember anything. Um, until, um, I wake up and I'm laying in a hotel bed and he's on top of me. Um, and it's like, it almost feels like it was a dream. Like it wasn't really happening. Like out of body kind of. Yeah. Out of body experience is exactly what it felt like. And I was just kind of like in shock. So I, I like, you know, went back to sleep. It was like, and I just kept waking up going back to sleep. So that's literally like what you read in the book. Yeah. That's all literally that I remember. Um, and the next day, um, the, the one girl that I was with, I asked her, I was like, did anything happen to me? Um, Cause I, I don't, know if anything happened to me and she was like I don't think so so then that even made me doubt for a second that I'm why I think I was dreaming because she said that nothing happened um and I I still like I still didn't feel right and so I went to the hospital because I wanted um I just wanted to get checked sure and when I got to the hospital they said it was going to be a four hour wait. And because what I originally, what I told them was, I was like, oh, I just want to see if I have, you know, yeah. STDs or anything because I had sex, whatever. And they're like, oh, well, it's going to be a four hour wait. I couldn't bring myself to say the words that I had been raped. Like, I just, I couldn't. And so I had to actually be on duty that night. So. I didn't, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait four hours. I didn't want to be there. I was in denial. I didn't want to believe that it had happened to me. 
And so I went back to the barracks. That's where you, that's where you stay at when you're in school. Sure. And I went to the bathroom and I just remember looking at my body and there were bruises like all over that. I don't even know how I got those. Um, so that was kind of like, at that point, like I knew, um, that it hadn't really happened. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to think that that such a thing happened because I, you know, nobody, yeah. Nobody wants to believe that. (laughs) Who could ever, like it's happened to a million people. And I, you, you, a lot of times you hear this, the story of the shame immediately hitting you. Oh yeah. The shame hit me. And honestly, it took me years. I mean, I think the last couple of years is when I finally didn't feel it anymore because in the beginning I wasn't even supposed to be drinking alcohol, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like, why did I do that? I always play the, what if, what if in my head, like, what if I didn't drink, then that wouldn't have happened. You know, person that invented the, the what if game needs to go back and rethink everything in life. Yes. They sure do. The what if is what keeps you up at night. Absolutely. I mean, the what if game is the worst and yet we all do it. It's that that devil's advocate that we know is going to lead to the road of nothing but more trauma for ourselves. But yet it's the match we always light every time. Yep. (laughs) So how long did you keep the secret of, of you being raped? So I... So one, I flunked out of airborne. I just completely didn't pass any of my physical tests. I didn't want to be there. So I just flunked them on purpose so that I could leave because that place was just being there was traumatic. So I didn't say anything. Um, I finally got to, so that was in May. Uh, they fin- I had to stay there for a few months before they could send me to my duty station. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to my duty station in July. That was Fort Polk, Louisiana. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, so that was in July. So I still hadn't told anyone, hadn't told anyone. Uh, drank a lot because that made me completely forget, like, everything that happened numbed me completely. So um, then it wasn't until October. October was when they had to do, like, yearly training for everything. Every year you have to do the same training um and one of them was for sharp and instead of death by powerpoint usually it's always death by powerpoint but this time it was like an actual video of a girl telling her story and it it was like looking at myself in a mirror like i her story is what gave me the strength um to report like after I heard her story I broke down I completely ran out of the room cried my eyes out in the bathroom and then um my sergeant came and checked on me and that's when I was like you know I gotta get something out of my system you know this happened and I completely told uh told him and he brought me to the um the Sark uh sexual assault response coordinator. She was the one that's in charge of like everything. So I went and I reported, I did an unrestricted report. 
So that means like it, it, it goes to trial. Oh, immediately um, you have to decide that then. Yeah, you have to decide if you want to do restricted or unrestricted. And restricted, you don't get justice. You just get to tell them what happened to you. And, you know, you get the, resor- the resources like therapy or you need to go to the hospital. Um, that's it. That's all. Um, unrestricted is the only one where you get to actually take them and go to trial if it gets that far. But Brittany, so the press charges. how brave of you to do that from jump though, to push for that? Because I'd imagine as a woman, if this had happened to me, I would still have a certain aspect of fear in that, especially if you're still in the military because. Oh yeah. I the repercussions of right, after. Exactly. Like, is there like yeah. a good old boy thing going to happen to me? Are people going to look at me like, Oh, this girl didn't just, you know, stay quiet and, you know, not ruffle the feathers. So I feel like that's incredibly brave to be like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Yeah. I, I feel like I thank you for that. I I feel like for my, for my story, for what happened, maybe it was easier for me because he was at a different base. Mm. Um, He was in North Carolina and I was in Louisiana. I don't, you know, I don't know how it is for the other women that have the people there, you know, sure. with them at that duty station. But honestly, just hearing someone else's story and seeing that, hey, she's okay. She got through it. Yeah, it was hard, but she did it. She, you know, she used her voice and she got justice as she deserved. And seeing somebody else things get that is like, I can do that too. If she can do that, so can I. And I feel like, I feel like for me, like that's another important reason. Like I want to share my story and I want to do this is because I want that for someone else. I want them to see that, hey, she did it. I I can too. Like, you know, like I just feel like a responsibility of this happened to me that I can help others. The silence is what deafens us. The silence is what makes things like that easier to happen, I guess you could say. Yeah. In terms of after that, was the trial something that further pushed your trauma? Yes. Literally the day, the day that I reported, um, I had to go straight to the police station or CID, the police station on base. And I was sat in a room and they asked me questions from that night. I had to literally give them every detail that I could remember. I wasn't allowed to forget anything. Uh, I know part of that's like in my book. Um, but literally they, they were asking me questions like, oh, what time of day was it? Uh, did you see the clock on the dresser? Like, what time did it say? What uh, was going on? You know, what TV show or whatever? What was going on on the TV? How do you know he was having sex with you? You know, like, oh I literally, gosh. literally, like, the day I reported was the day that I had to relive that. And it, I had to do it the whole time because I, you know, I had to write it out. I had to first say it what happened then I had to write it out and you know sign and everything and then if they thought of questions later on so it was a phone call after phone calls of just questioning and everybody that was involved in it and um 
uh, trial for me was more traumatic than the actual assault itself, which is a crazy thing to say, but it's like the stuff you see on TV and like how they treat you, it's how it happens. That doesn't sound crazy to me at all, because to me, when I read in your first part of your book that it said, you know, piece of me died that day and rightfully so. So to me, it would feel as though they were picking apart a casket day by day. Yeah. Like, let's drudge this up again. And, you know, she's trying to come back to life, but we're going to make her relive that in front of however many people. Yeah. In the most humiliating way, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. And like, even during like your characters put into question, too. It's always, you know, they always treat the victim like like they're the ones at fault. That's just, you know, that's how it happens. Of course, that was his lawyer that was doing that. But I mean, what you see on TV is really how it feels in real life. And you also Um, said in the book, though, that you learned some things in trial about the person that walked in on the assault. In trial, I learned apparently after you know, that day he bragged to his friends. He was like, I got laid in the shower. So apparently shit happened to me in the shower that I have no recollection, like no memory. I have no memory in the shower. I have no, like, uh, I learned things that I didn't know even happened. And it's like, so for me hearing that, and like there was even, there was like a picture going around the, trial um someone had taken a picture on the boat and I was sitting on my friend's lap and he had his hand on my leg you know mm-hmm. um and they were like did you did you realize that his hand was on your leg like did you enjoy that oh. and just like trying to make me look like like I, I asked for it and that wasn't even the person that did it even but, you know, just seeing that picture, they just, like, went at it, like, a, they were, like, tearing me apart with that picture. And I didn't even know the picture was taken. I didn't even know it was on the internet, like, on Facebook. Um, so that was the first so time you were trial. seeing it during trial. That was there. the first time, yeah. That was the first time I was seeing it. Oh, my gosh. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, as a woman, I'm sitting here saying, like, as you're telling this story, I'm going through, like, my mental log of the many pictures that I've had with friends or guys or whoever they were as a drunken night at some party at Gasparilla or New Orleans, whatever it was, because I was a very wild, you know, 20-something-year-old of men that I don't even know their name. I don't know them from Adam. I look at that photo and go, who the hell was that? And... Probably in more compromising positions than that. Did I deserve to be there and raped because of that photo that infuriates me? Right. (sighs) Breathe, Riley. And then I was like, they were were adding on the whole thing of what I was wearing. I was wearing a bathing suit because we were at the lake. Mm -hmm. Like, even women at lakes or pools wearing a bathing suit, a normal bathing suit, you know, that, that gets put into question. And it's just, it was so... It was so hard. It was the hardest thing that I had ever been in. Um, Just having me as a person, my character put into question and making me feel like it was my fault, making me feel like I am the one to blame. And 
uh, it took me a really long time to get over trial, honestly. So how would you say after trial, after the sexual assault, rape actually we should say, because sexual assault just seems so clinical to that. Yeah. How would you say that that, you know, because you touched upon that drinking was your new outlet. Like, how would you say that it, it changed you as a person? So after trial, because I ended up, I, honestly, like I felt God was on my side because I won my trial. Thank God. Um, after that, I, I won. And um, it was, that was an amazing feeling, obviously, but it doesn't, it doesn't change right away. It's like I went to trial and I won, but I'm still this person that lost a part of her. Um, so even though I got justice, uh, I, I still struggled a lot. I drank um, a lot even after that. I was just angry. I was angry at men in uniform, even women in uniform. I was just wearing the uniform. I just didn't feel uh pride I didn't have that did you feel um, betrayed yep. by people in uniform because I'd imagine uh, people in uniform were the ones asking those questions on the stand oh yes I felt big betrayal I, I just I I couldn't trust people you know um I just was so angry all the time and irritable and um it got like I got so depressed to the point where they're like <clears throat> my therapist was like, you know, you should get a dog because at least with a dog, uh, you have to go outside and walk. You have to take the dog outside. You have to you have to have some sort of responsibility because I all I was doing was going to work and coming home and going to sleep. I wasn't you know, I was so depressed. So even though I I went to trial in one, I still was dealing with a lot of um, the emotions from the actual rape. Well, yeah. Um, and the trial itself of, of like that just brought on more guilt um, and more shame and knowing that people looked at me a certain way. Um, well, because you talk about like it, how it is in the movies is absolutely true. Like this is an old, old, old movie. So y'all don't, don't come for me for how old my reference is here, but it was, um, the accused. It was like an eighties or nineties movie. And the profile of that story, the way that they treated her, because she was the girl from the other side of the tracks, as they said. So she was, you know, these, these Ivy league guys all raped her like four or five of them. And the way that they made her feel was like, she was nothing. You don't yeah. just bounce back from something like that. I'd Im- yeah, no. I mean, I'd imagine, yes, you were elated that you got justice, but that is where the work starts. Am I correct in that? Right. Absolutely, yes. So what uh, would you say from all of the depression and all of the spiraling from the trauma of the rape and the trauma of the assault, like where was your aha moment when things started to turn to the better? Um, going to not the single therapy, but the group therapy. And I know that it's hard sometimes to have your story, you know, told in front of people, but you don't even have to go to tell your story. You know, you can just go and sit there. And for me, seeing other women in uniform that it had happened to and hearing their stories and, um, 
just knowing that I wasn't alone because the whole time I felt completely alone. I didn't, I'd never known anyone that had gone through that. Um, so I didn't, I had friends, of course, but, you know, I couldn't really talk to them about it because they, they wouldn't understand. And they relate, right? Yeah. Um, so it was like knowing that I wasn't alone really kind of helped me. And I didn't even start to heal right away, honestly. I, it didn't take me, it took me a long time to finally, like, be okay. And even as hard as it is, even 10 years, 10 years down the line, like, I still have some issues, even to this day, that I'm still working on. Um, I mean, I just keep going back to what you said in the book, in the beginning, when you said, a piece of me died that day because again I have never been sexually assaulted raped I would imagine though that your innocence dies in a sense your trust I that day like now that I think about it like back then I didn't think of it that way but like right now like I felt like I was just a body with no soul like he just used me that was it like it was just like that was a piece of meat that he just used and then oh I'm done now like the way that I think about it now is it just I just felt like a body so you said that you won in the trial but what ended up happening to him what was the punishment that he got so he got dishonorably discharged obviously um, he got, he went to like a, a military type of jail, um, for, he went in for two years and, and he has to be on the sex offender registry the rest of his life. So Is it terrible of every- me that I hear that and I'm like, not enough. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's I- just the friend, woman, mother in me. That's just like you stole something from someone that is irreplaceable. And I, yeah, I, I get that. But at the same time, I think the part that I love is the fact that every month he has to go and get his picture retaken. He has to go, but where he lives at, what, where he works. He always has to have that. Oh, on- you didn't tell me all that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The, the registry. If you go on there, you got a sex offender. My- so he has to. He has to be on that. So it's like for me, like for me personally, like maybe for others, it's not good enough. But for me, because he has to relive it. No, he did all the time. He doesn't get to. He doesn't get to forget that. I don't know. I'm such a, sometimes I feel like I'm such a weird person because I feel like sometimes I have too much empathy and sometimes I feel bad in a way like, oh, he doesn't ever get to forget it. But then I remember I don't ever get to forget what happened to me either. I have to live with this part of me. Like I, you could also think of that as a good thing that he never gets to forget it though, because it's like if he did it once, and then didn't have to do that, what would honestly stop him from doing it again? Because I'd imagine you'd have to have several screws loose to do this to someone and not only do it, but enjoy it. So 
that I think is a very good thing that he never, ever, ever gets to undo that part of his awful wrongdoings. Yeah. And that's just putting it very, very lightly. I could say a lot, but I do believe I, as explicit as I get on this podcast, I don't want to go that far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who would you say was your biggest supporter through all of this? Obviously my, my entire family, like, well, not entire, my mom and dad and my sister, they, they all knew about it. Um, they were very, uh, supportive. Um, and my dad was actually, I was on a, during trial, um, there was a moment where I wanted to quit. I just wanted, I didn't want to do it anymore because, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to plead guilty and he wanted to actually take it to trial. And I was like, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do it anymore. And I called my dad and I told him and, and he was like, you know, I get it. Like if you can't go forward, then don't do it. But then he was like, but then just remember that if you do that, you quit, you can't go back and change it. And what happened to you could very well happen to another person. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so I know you don't want to, but I need you to feel the fear and do it anyways. And huh. um, <laughs> I mean, that, that for my dad, and like when he told me that, I just like obviously I broke down even more. But it was just like it that put my, I it grounded me. It grounded me and made me realize why I was doing it in the first place. I my I have full body goosebumps right now because I am absolutely a person that says fuck fear it's not always easy to say that my favorite song in the world have you ever looked fear in the face and said I don't care it's Mm -hmm. hard to do and I cannot imagine what that is to step into this situation where you're so broken and naked literally in front of everyone but you're able to do it it's the biggest form of bravery I can think of, period. And so important that you're sharing the story. That's why, like, that's, I, like, even if one person from your podcast that listens, that it helps, then I know that me sharing my story is worth it because that's all I want. I just want to help this one person to know that, you know, they can get through it. They can use their voice and they can report and they... And it may be the hardest, damnest thing that they ever do, but they can get through it on the other side. And I think, you know, I don't, I can't speak on someone who has gone to trial and didn't win. I don't know that side, so I don't know how that feels. But I can say that, you know, you don't, you don't know until you go to trial that you might win and you might not. You know, everyone says, well, what if I don't win? But then it's like, but what if? I do. And there's I do always that saying like, you know, what if, but what if I fall, but my dear, what if you fly? And there's also something else to be said that there's victory in the fight, no matter the outcome. Yeah. I applaud you for knowing that you could lose. And then you go forward and you're like, well, it's the, the chance to have that victory is worth more than doing nothing, especially from a space where you already had such control taken from you. So not to let them control you further. I just, the more I talk to you, Brittany, the more I am just 
so proud of you. And I've never had the, the, the pleasure of putting my hands around you and giving you a hug, but I am sending you the biggest one right now because I appreciate it so much. And I just, I appreciate how you're talking to me too, because honestly, like in the very beginning, I was very, very nervous. Um, and I feel like by the end, it's like, you're such an easy person to talk to. And I just, I really appreciate you as a person. Do not make me cry. I've gotten through all of this without that. I, <laughs> I know we've been pretty good. I mean, I've had my take but <laughs> We might go cry in our Cheerios later, but before we do that, I want you to, or I can read them for you if you like. You have in the book, these are my top three tactical strategies to combat trauma because I think that it's such an important thing to talk about the ways that you can get into the other side and to cope from somebody that's been there. So your number one, you said you can't let trauma define who you are. So it says you're allowed to grieve the loss of the person you were before the trauma happened, but don't let it consume you. Don't let it define who you are. So beautifully put, my friend. Um, the second one, learn from the trauma and keep moving forward. Do not give up on yourself. It's going to be a rough road ahead. There will be many times when you think you can't go on, but that's when you have to keep moving. And I promise there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I have goosebumps all over me reading this. You are, Number three, you are capable of handling any trauma. Don't be so hard on yourself and give yourself grace. You are learning to navigate the new person you're becoming. You are strong, you are capable, and you will bounce back from this because you're resilient. That's one of my favorite words and that you are because I know that there are many that would not come back with the tenacity that you have. And just a little bit ago when you were talking about, you know, going forth in trial and just trying and being strong through it, there was a different tone in your voice and a different cadence to what you were saying. That to me says that you may still have rough days, but you have become incredibly incredibly resilient so i think that that might be my new nickname for you what's up mrs r <laughs> i love that <laughs> so since then you have had two babies um what are their names uh lucas he's uh he'll be six in july and uh lila will be four in may lucas and lila how adorable it sounds like a children's book I mean, I we didn't even mean to like do L and L, but it just, you know, it worked. You know that I'm a fan of the L names with my little boy lyric over there. But I know that as a mother, what you're doing is very important for future little girls that God forbid ever go through this or just the awareness of it or just protecting somebody else from having a lifelong issue with shame from trauma that was inflicted upon them that they didn't ask for. It doesn't matter what the circumstance was. It doesn't matter what bathing suits you were wearing. It doesn't matter what you were drinking. It doesn't matter what picture you took. It wasn't your fault. And that trauma doesn't have to define you. <sighs> Brittany, thank you so much for coming on this podcast with me. I can't thank you enough for sharing your story in the way that you have. Thank you. You're thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful human being. Oh, have you heard about the thank you, thank you, thank yous? No. no. Okay. Well, I, ha like I have to tell you that now because you said it and it'll maybe stick with you because now I have to say it too. 
I very much believe in manifestation and I believe that things happen for a reason. And when those very big poignant things happen, you say to the universe and you say to whoever gave you that gift, thank you three times because there's something in the right. There's something in the three times that completes the circle and just drives it home. So that one got me. Now I'm getting choked. Brittany, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't want to know about it. That's just crazy. That's you know why I love it. That's, That's why the universe. Hell yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, so you also give your email in the book as a reference to anyone that wants any more information on how that they can have the strategies to get over sexual assault or, you know, I guess just basically have someone as a touchstone for something like this. Would you like to give that email now? It's um, Brittany and it's spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y Prince 2008 at gmail.com. Brittany, I am so proud of you. I'm so very proud of us for doing this because we were talking right before the podcast of like, oh God, how are we going to do this? Let's, <laughs> let's just get on this roller coaster and go. And I am very excited that somebody somewhere is going to hear this and feel very much less alone because of your bravery. So I thank really, I really can't thank that. you enough. Um, <laughs> And I really hope to come back to Georgia because you know I'm a peach and give you that hug that I owe you for this one. So Oh, I'll be back in Virginia in, in June. So Girl, we are going to go to a smash room possibly and get on some more aggression. And side note, if you guys want to read this book, it's actually really, really great. Again, it's called um, Empowered Women Overcoming Mediocrity, a unique collection of stories from empowered women who have created their own lives of significance. Amazing. Well, you guys, I really hope that we touched upon your heartstrings a little bit in this podcast. I know I use, I like to say, you know, I like to make you laugh. I like to make you cry with this podcast. I like to be very real raw. And sometimes I like to say the things of what the hell did that girl just say? So hopefully we got you somewhere in between there. Brittany, I, I honestly consider you a friend now because you've shared just so much of your story and I can't thank you enough for being as brave as you are. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I count you as my friend too. I'm so excited. <laughs> and thank you guys that are listening. It's really Riley.